Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's Cut to the Chase at 8 with Queen MC. That's me, Madison Chase. And Monday through Thursday, we are talking health because it truly is your wealth. And that includes healthy living, mind, spirit, body, wellness, healthy eating, and why diets need to die, and how I think plant-based living is the key to long life. Because of the 7.53 billion people in the world on the way through this process in the U.S. and the history of the FDA and the history of dieting and the history of exercise. So today I wanted to talk about keto, keto dieting. And so this week, Monday through Thursday, four part series, I am going to be doing a series about keep your keto diet or kick it out the park. So stay tuned and we'll talk all about this subject. We're going to jump right into it after we hear a word from our sponsor. Okay, now that we heard a word from our sponsor, let's jump right into it. So on this series, keep your keto diet or kick it out the park. Uh, I want to say kick it out the universe because I just think it needs to be done with. Uh, (laughs) But not to give anything away, uh, I wanted to look at the evolution of the American diet and how it got started. And so I looked at two different things because here is my initial gut when I heard about the keto diet. Uh, Having worked in pharmaceutical sales and worked in the disease state of diabetes, One of the first things that I thought about when I heard about keto dieting was ketoacidosis. And if you know anything or if you know anyone who has diabetes, uh, having your body in a ketoacidosis state um, is not a good thing. Uh, So, you know, because when you think about... um, ketosis or ketoacidosis, uh, those two things, um, it, it brings up certain things. So ketosis is generally safe, but that is a general term and it can't be applied to everyone. Uh, but ketoacidosis can be life-threatening. So the fact that this diet is even called the short term of a thing that could potentially be fatal to people it kind of like initially brought up a whole lot of things for me. Uh, So what I wanted to do in this first part uh, is look at um, the the history of diet, uh, the history of dieting and exercise and where did it come from? And then with the craze of keto diet and just that was my initial gut reaction uh, because I am a certified diabetes sales representative Uh, when I was working in uh, pharmaceutical sales. So uh, let's look at the history of dieting. I did two things. I looked at Wikipedia and they just kind of give you a breakdown of exactly what dieting is, where it came from, the different kinds of dieting. Um, And so Wikipedia says dieting is the practice of eating food in a regulated and supervised uh, supervised fashion. I don't know that it's supervised. Uh, to decrease, maintain, or increase body weight, or to prevent and treat diseases, it says, such as diabetes. A restricted diet is often used by those who are overweight, 
or obese, sometimes in combination with physical exercise to reduce body fat. Some people follow a diet to gain weight, usually in the form of muscle. Diets can be used to maintain a stable body weight and improve health, which I think that first sentence from Wikipedia is very interesting uh, because I've often said, you know, in talking to just people in general, because they know uh, about my history in health and wellness and uh, being the world's only three times fitness ESPN champion, um, three times, and also, you know, appearing in 450 fitness DVDs with, you know, some of the world's best trainers, uh, Gunnar Peterson, um, his greatest claim to fame. He trains li- literally a lot of people, um, but the Kardashian family, I think, is probably one of the the more, most famous families that he trains. But in terms of dieting, right, uh, when we look at dieting, a lot of exercise programs, they come from the world of bodybuilders, they come from the world of fitness competitors. So to put uh, something uh, and give someone advice from people who clearly have discipline, you know, already kind of invoked it's an innate sense for them and including myself like you know I grew up as a classical ballerina Uh, I studied ballet for a long time and even before that I was a very picky eater like I made sense with my food Uh, and so you know there were certain things that I wouldn't eat because and then my mom was not the mom who made me eat food Uh, she kind of let me naturally do what I wanted to do and so for me I didn't like chicken because I didn't. I saw my great grandfather wring a chicken's neck because I'm from the country. And I saw this chicken walking around with his neck flopping off. And I was like, I'm I'm not going to eat chicken. And I didn't like cheese. I didn't like chocolate. I don't know why they all start with CHs, but (laughs) that was kind of how I grew up. So it wasn't until I became a. You know, I started studying ballet and I started, you know, being around a lot of my ballet friends and, you know, traveling like literally every summer I would go away to study classical ballet. And it wasn't until I was introduced to, you know, like uh, yogurt and carrots and snacks like that. Like I didn't like yogurt because I thought that it was sour milk initially. Um, It's just the mind, the way my mind worked. But let's look at this other article that I thought was really interesting. And this is from an article called Mother Earth News. The writers is Helen Zoe Belt. And she wrote this article called The Evolution of the American Diet, which I think is really, really interesting uh, and where I kind of want to focus on today's episode. Uh, So she starts this article by saying, in the early 20th century, nutrition science sparked the modernization of the American diet. Soon after World War I brought about the state's management of food on a large scale, changing what and how Americans ate. She also has a poster um, (laughs) from Lloyd Harrison and they're advertising corn. The Food of the Nation, 1918, the Food Administration's poster advertised some of the many uses of corn. And so if we look at kind of how corn has like literally it's in everything, but that started in 1918. Um, In the 1890s, um, she talks about 
what African-Americans ate in Mississippi, which I think is interesting because that hasn't changed. Uh, In Mississippi, they ate a plate of beans, greens, gravy, and cornbread. Her dinner seemed a world removed from a a Gilded Age restaurant meal of steak and asparagus. Uh, Just two decades later, however, the 1910s chemical analysis of these foods would reveal disconcerting similarities in their nutrition content. Uh, in fact, the poor southern meal, lower in fat and higher in vitamins, would increasingly look like the healthier of the two, uh, which I think is interesting because I've had a conversation with my friend about the African-American diet and how we still eat a lot of foods from slavery, which I think is, it, it blows my mind that, you know, being from the South, that people still make chitlins and we put hot sauce on it. I'm like, that's food that we had to eat, but now we still eat it and just kind of like the programming that we have been conditioned to make something taste good and make the best out of something that we no longer have to eat. Uh, And so when we look at this article, one of the things that I thought was interesting, uh, she said progressive impulses and U.S. involvement in the World War all came together to fundamentally change American thinking on food. The war was particularly crucial. Immediately after entering the war in 1970, the government created a powerful wartime agency called the United States Food Administration, which aimed to ship food supplies to Western European allies and neutrals where supplies in some places can desperately be low. For almost two years, the war provided a laboratory on the American home front in which the state managed food on a national scale, making food and its management, patriotic projects, and extending the state's reach into the home onto dinner plates and onto kitchen cabinets. The Food Administration and the voluntary uh, conservation campaigns that surrounded it marked the high point of a revolution in the ways Americans at all levels in society understand food. Uh, So the way we think about food now has its origin in this moment. So if we look at dieting and where it actually came from, does it still make sense for how we eat and how we diet and how we live? So that's my part one, just to give you a taste of, I will continue this article. Uh, I'm going to do some more research on dieting and the history of dieting uh, in America and other countries because I think that's the thing that's so interesting to me is that the FDA does things completely different than the way they do food in Europe. Like I have a friend that lives in London and when she's in London, she only eats a plant-based diet when she comes to the state. So what does that tell you? I don't know, but thank you guys for listening. This is my second podcast in season two. So I appreciate everyone who listened and uh, we will continue this conversation tomorrow. Part two of the subject, keep your keto diet or kick it to the curb.